Kate cocked her head at the man and narrowed her eyes. For a peasant, this man seemed to know a great deal, not only about history, but about Gilbert. And he had all but challenged Gilbert to go out and take on the beast himself. She gave a low growl, and the man shot her a sinister glance. Welcome to the Epic Order of the Seven, the podcast, with your hosts, Max, Liz, and Nigel. This podcast is produced by Playful World Ministries, a department of ACT International. All of the Epic Order of the Seven characters and adventures were created by and written by Jenny L. Cody. And I'm your narrator, Denny Brownlee. By the way, as you listen to this episode from the audiobook The Voice, The Revolution, and The Key, keep in mind you can download your very own copy of it by visiting audible.com. That's www.audible.com. And you'll find the entire collection of Jenny L. Cody's Epic Order of the Seven books by going to her website, epicorderoftheseven.com. On today's episode, we'll hear Chapter 46 from The Voice, The Revolution, and The Key, but today's episode is, well, extra special to me. And in fact, I have some last-minute items I need to go take care of. You're leaving? Well, I'll be back soon, but I need to step aside. And so, I now turn things over to your hosts. Our wee Scotty dog, Max. Our tiny, petite feline, Liz. And our minuscule mouse, Nigel. <laughs> Hi, thanks, uh, giant announcer lad. Trebian <laughs> <laughs> Max, uh, he went from wee to tiny to minuscule. <laughs> he thinks he's so big. Uh, well, comparatively speaking, old boy, he rather is. All I know is it's a good thing we don't have any buggy-wuggy friends helping us then. Indeed, uh, they would be infinitesimal insects or uh, 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 microscopic mites. What? <laughs> We, uh, we, uh, little Nigel, <laughs> but uh, let us not sweat the small stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Good show, my pet. Uh, but I say, what do you suppose announcer chap meant by today's episode being extra special? Well, I might have a clue then. You see, I just brought in the mail and... Ew! Did you uh, lay it out to dry? Hi, lass. Me doggy slobber be drying up as we speak. Well, as I were saying then, there'll be one piece of mail that states, Congratulations on your 100. Hmm, 100 is a most significant number. With our base 10 numerical system, uh, 100 is 10 to the second power, or 10 squared. Aye, sounds pretty square to me. Uh, but what do you think it means then? I say, uh, you don't suppose it's the old boy's 100th birthday? Hmm... Only if he had some work done, mon ami. Well, you never know. Oh, contraire, Nigel. Uh, I can always tell. Well, then, do you suppose he and Mrs. Announcer Lad be married for a hundred years? <laughs> Perhaps in dog years. Uh, what other kind of years are there? Hmm, I don't know. Uh, perhaps he is taking a night class and got 100 on the test. Which then begs the question, what class would that be? Uh, ballroom dancing, perhaps? <laughs> no way he would get 100 there, Mosey. That would mean 50 points for his left foot and 50 points for his other left foot. <laughs> uh, uh, perhaps he broke 100 on the golf course. Have you seen him golf, lass? He's got a better chance with ballroom dancing than... Well, I'm going with 100th birthday. I'm sticking with education. 
and I'll stick with the Nooser Lad's anniversary. In fact, uh, I need to go make a call. Uh, as do I. And uh, I as well. Uh, but we also need to start Chapter 46, no? Uh, Max, uh, s'il vous plaît, can you? Oui, Harry, alas. I'll just mash button number one here and put him on auto announcer lad. <laughs> uh, I'll be right back. Uh, as will I. I say, uh, uh, ditto. Okay, I'm back. Sorry about that. Uh, Max, Liz, Nigel, where is everybody? Thanks a lot, guys. Uh, well, at least I got the music going here. Let's get back into our story, and then we'll celebrate number 100. Chapter 46, The Beast of Gévaudan. Les Ubac, France, June 30th, 1764. Allons-y! Jean Boulet shouted to the grazing sheep as she prodded them along with a stick. Her few sheep nibbled a bare patch of ground, having stripped it of grass near the tree line at the edge of the forest. The 14-year-old shepherd girl turned to head back toward the village. She looked to the horizon and shielded her eyes from the bright sun to gauge the time of day, about five o'clock. Hurry now, I wish to be home for supper. Jean wrinkled her nose at the strong odor of the sheep that huddled close as they walked along behind her. <laughs> You ship smelled worse than usual today. She leaned over to pick another wildflower to add to her small bouquet. She held the flowers up to her nose, hoping for a fragrant whiff to mask the odor. No such luck. The stench was too strong. She lowered the bouquet and dangled it by her side as she walked ahead of the sheep, singing a French folk tune. Au clair de la lune, mon ami Pierrot. Prête-moi tes plumes pour écrire un mot. Motion de morta, je n'ai plus de feu. Ouvre-moi tes portes pour l'amour de Dieu. As she finished singing the last line, the sheep suddenly scattered in all directions, bleeding in a feverish pitch. Jean quickly turned around and was suddenly hit in the chest falling hard to the ground with the wind knocked out of her. Terror filled her eyes as her attacker lunged for her throat. There was no time to cry for help. It would not have made a difference even if she had. No one would have heard her out here on the isolated hillside. Some local peasants from the village found her the next day, a withered bouquet of flowers by her side. Chateau de Javagnac Lafayette, France, June 1765. There was once a very rich merchant who had six children, three sons, and three daughters. Uh, being a man of sense, he spared no cost for their education, but gave them all kinds of masters. His daughters were extremely handsome, especially the youngest. When she was little, everybody admired her and called her the little beauty, so that as she grew up, she still went by the name of beauty, which made her sisters very jealous. Gilbert stopped reading and glanced at his cousin Marie, who sat on the stone steps below him with her arms wrapped around her knees, eagerly listening as he read. 
He paused and smiled at the nine-year-old girl who turned around to see why he had stopped reading. She twisted her mouth and pointed to the book he held, urging him to continue. Her light brown hair and hazel eyes made her quite the little beauty, and Gilbert was happy his Aunt Charlotte had brought her to live with them after Marie's father died. Marie was more like his sister and was his closest childhood friend. Gilbert's mother had gone to live in Paris when he was two and only returned occasionally to visit him. So Gilbert lived with his grandmother, two aunts, and his cousin Marie, surrounded by three generations of women who loved and doted on him. The red-haired, blue-eyed, freckle-faced boy was proud to be the little lord of Chevagnac, man of the house and protector of the Lafayette family, all at the tender age of eight. Should I start calling you the impatient little beauty, cousin? Gilbert teased. He turned his gaze to follow a hawk that flew high above the lush gardens of the Lafayette estate to the distant forest. He didn't feel like reading on this breezy summer morning. He wanted to put down the book and walk down these stone steps and through the tree-lined path that led to the green woods beyond. He wanted to go exploring in the forest or swimming in the pond lined with weeping willow trees and filled with lily pads. The young Marquis did love to read, especially history books about ancient Roman and Greek warriors, such as Julius Caesar and Alexander the Great. And he never tired of hearing the exciting stories of his Lafayette ancestors, asking his grandmère to repeat them over and over again. Gilbert adored real stories of action and peril, war and conquest, but his cousin Marie preferred fiction stories like Beauty and the Beast and any of the new genre of books called fairy tales. Their tutor, Abby Fayon, assigned summer reading for the children and daily had them read aloud to each other to practice their diction and storytelling. Today, it was Gilbert's turn. He lowered his hand to rub Kate under the chin. His beloved white dog never left his side. She wagged her tail as she lay next to him on the cool stone steps. I don't care what you call me, cousin. Just keep reading, s'il vous plaît. Marie insisted, tipping the book back up to face Gilbert. Gilbert nodded and found his place to keep reading. A curly lock of red hair danced on his forehead from the soft breeze. The youngest, as she was handsomer, was also better than her sisters. The two eldest had a great deal of pride because they were rich. They gave themselves ridiculous airs and would not visit other merchants' daughters, nor keep company with any but persons of quality. They went out every day to parties of pleasure, uh, balls, plays, concerts, and so forth, and they laughed at their youngest sister because she spends the greatest part of her time in reading good books. Just like me and this book, Marie said happily. We, oui, but let's skip to the exciting part, Gilbert suggested as he flipped over a few pages. He put his finger on the section he was looking for. He was within 30 miles of his own house, thinking on the pleasure he would have in seeing his children again. When going through a large forest, he lost himself. It rained and snowed terribly. Besides, the wind was so high that it threw him twice off his horse, and night coming on, he began to apprehend being either starved to death with cold and hunger, or else devoured by the wolves. 
whom he heard howling all around him. Gilbert closed La Belle et la Bête and offered up a howl like a wolf. Ow! Marie put her hands over her ears. Stop, Gilbert! I hate the sound of wolves, especially lately. I'm not afraid of wolves, Gilbert replied boldly, putting his hand on his cousin's arm. Besides, I'll protect you, Marie. We Lafayette knights must protect our ladies from beasts. He reached over and held up another book Marie had brought to read, Le Conte du Mamère Loire, or The Tales of Mother Goose, by Charles Perrault. But you should heed this advice. Gilbert flipped through the book, reading the story titles. Cendrillon, Cinderella. La Chaboti, Puss in Boots. La Belle au Bois Dormant, The Sleeping Beauty. Ah, voilà, le petit chaperon rouge. He cleared his throat and animated his voice as he read aloud, first as Little Red Riding Hood and then as the Big Bad Wolf. Grandmother, what big arms you have! Oh, they're better to hug you with, my dear. Grandmother, what big legs you have! Oh, they're better to run with, my child. Grandmother, what big ears you have! Oh, they're better to hear with, my child. Grandmother, what big eyes you have! Oh, they're better to see with, my child. Grandmother, what big teeth you have got! Oh, they better to eat you up with. And saying these words, this wicked wolf fell upon Little Red Riding Hood and ate her all up. Moral, children, especially attractive, well-bred young ladies, should never talk to strangers, for if they should do so, they may well provide dinner for a wolf. I say wolf, but there are various kinds of wolves. There are also those who are charming, quiet, polite, unassuming, complacent, and sweet, who pursue young women at home and in the streets. And unfortunately, it is these gentle wolves who are the most dangerous ones of all. Gilbert closed the book and gave a self-confident nod as he held up both books. Beauty's Beast turned out to be a prince, but some men can be wolves, especially to beauties like you. Marie folded her arms over her chest and frowned. Well, I do not want to hear about any kind of wolves today. I overheard the adults talking this morning. There's been another attack. Gilbert's eyes widened and he leaned forward, alarmed. Where? Thirty miles from us just like Beauty's father in this story. Marie replied with growing fear in her eyes. Gilbert, I'm frightened. Gilbert reached his arms out and enveloped his cousin in a gentle hug. Don't be afraid, Marie. I won't let anything happen to you. And neither will I, lass. Kate barked, standing up attentively. You see, Bibi is here too. Gilbert said with a smile to his little dog. We've read enough for this morning. Let's go back inside and see if Grandmère has some chocolate for us. Marie nodded and Gilbert gathered up the books. As they turned to walk inside the chateau, Gilbert's smile faded as he looked back at the forest behind them. 
He knew full well that wolves roamed under that dark canopy of trees, but there was a monster that had been terrorizing the Gévaudan and Auvergne regions of southern France for more than a year. After it first struck a 14-year-old shepherd girl, a hideous beast had gone on to attack more than 60 young women and children who were out tending sheep and cows or gathering wood. It killed some of its victims on the spot and dragged others away to a grisly death. People from 100 miles around were terrified, as the killer beast seemed to be everywhere, but nowhere. It eluded hunters. There were brief sightings and even shots fired at some kind of animal, but the creature somehow always managed to get up and retreat into the dark woods, evading capture. Rumors began to spread that the beast was invincible to bullets. This volcanic mountainous region of rugged terrain in the south of France was dotted with little villages spaced far apart. The population was small, and peasants tended not to travel far from their homes, keeping people somewhat isolated from one another. Poor peasants worked from dawn until dusk, struggling to put food on their tables by the sweat of their brow. They had few possessions, and those who were fortunate enough to own a few sheep or cows guarded them with their very lives. These peasants were concerned only about the immediate world around them, so news spread slowly at first in this region. But as a French writer noted, the marvelous is a seductive poison, and gazettes quickly discovered the power of this monster story over the masses. Newspapers and broadsides began pouring into the villages and towns, and they were filled with account after gruesome account of the attacks by the beast of Gévaudan. The people of France couldn't get enough of the news. They were poisoned with marvelous terror. The French administrator of the region, Étienne Lafont, was tasked with organizing hunts of eight to ten people in each village, but fear kept most of the villagers from venturing out to try to kill the beast. In January, a brave group of seven children fought off the beast with sticks and makeshift spears as they guarded the cattle of Chenalei. The beast had grabbed one of the youngest in their group, and their leader, 12-year-old Jacques Portefeuille, spurred them on, telling them they had to save their comrade or perish. The children surrounded the beast until it released their friend, who suffered a wound to his face, but survived. The brave band of heroes gained the attention of France and even praise and rewards from King Louis XV. The French king then called upon the mightiest wolf hunter in France to hunt down the beast. With 1,200 kills to his name, the hunter from Normandy brought men and trained hound dogs, but after four tiresome months, the hunters had only captured and killed ordinary wolves. This killer beast was no ordinary wolf. Some even questioned whether it was a wolf at all. Some said it could be a hyena or a panther. Since it couldn't be killed with bullets, some wondered if it could be a dragon with a hide of scaly armor. Perhaps it was a new breed of wolf crossed with another natural predator. Reports by those who had encountered the beast claimed they had almost been knocked over by the stinking, rotten smell of the beast. Eyewitnesses claimed the beast was the size of a calf, had massively sharp teeth, long claws, a black stripe down its back, a long tail it could swing like a weapon, and menacing, glowing eyes.
Whatever it was, the monster of Gévaudan was thirsty for blood. As Gilbert and Marie walked by the Libertas statue and into the house, Kate also looked back toward the forest, furrowing her brow and shaking her head. The white Westie then followed the children inside, staying close by and comforting them in the safety of the chateau. From the hedge near the stone steps, a pair of dark eyes looked on, having heard the entire conversation. Hi, Announcer Lad here. We hope you're enjoying today's chapter from The Voice, The Revolution, and The Key by Jenny L. Cody. And Miss Jenny has joined me now, and apparently she has something important she would like to say about this Epic Order of the Seven podcast. Jenny? Danny does this out of love and to bless the world. It is his ministry, and a lot of people don't know that. I don't pay Denny to do this. This is a mission, a ministry, and Denny needs to buy dog food and cat food and <laughs> cheese and all these important things, so yeah. he depends on people to support his ministry. And so if I may be so bold, would you send Denny a hundred pennies? Wait, what? Wouldn't that be great if everybody listening sent a hundred pennies to Denny? <laughs> Denny good. pennies. Yeah. Now that's fun. Denny pennies. How do you like that announcer, lad? <laughs> that's good. And uh, first of all, I'm honored. I mean, thank you for saying that. And a hundred pennies would be cool. Or make it easy and just send a dollar, you know. Send one dollar? Sure. And if they want, they could send a hundred dollars. That'd be awesome. Yeah, that would be pretty incredible. Uh, but any gift, big or small, helps allow me to continue to do this uh, in the future to bless other people. And you can be a part of that by adding your financial support to Playful World Ministries. In the notes for today's show, you'll find a link to our Giving Fuel page. Click on it, and you're on your way to helping us out. Thank you so very much. Now, back to our story. Bonjour, Monsieur le Marquis. Some local boys said as Gilbert walked down the cobblestone street of the village of Chevagnac. They tipped their hats out of respect to the village lord and their local aristocrat. Gilbert nodded and smiled back at them, returning the greeting as he marched steadily on with a determined gait. Gilbert's smile faded as he continued on his quest to the center of the village, furrowing his brow. Kate stayed near his heels, keeping an eye out for anyone or anything. Marie was too upset to leave the chateau, but Gilbert wanted to learn all he could about the threat that neared his home and village. They soon came to a place where broadsides, or large sheets with news, were pinned to a wooden board for the villagers to read. Gilbert stood with his hands on his hips and scanned the postings for any news about the beast, who had struck again. Kate sniffed and looked up to see a greasy-looking village peasant suddenly standing next to them. She wrinkled her nose. He smelled awful. His clothes were dirty and worn, and he wore a wide-brimmed, crumpled hat low over his eyes. He had obviously been working hard in the fields or in some dirty occupation. Gilbert turned and nodded at the man. Bonjour, monsieur. I understand there was another attack by that beast. Oui. An especially horrible one at that, the man replied. The whole village is terrified. If only someone were brave enough to go find that beast and kill it once and for all. But the king did send hunters to seek out the beast, Gilbert replied. The man crossed his arms over his chest and smirked. Oui, 
but they failed. He shook his head. Ever since we lost the Seven Years' War to the British, France just doesn't seem to have brave heroes to triumph anymore. Men like you nobles, who are supposed to protect us since we peasants aren't allowed to own guns. And the leaders wonder why the people won't go on their hunts. What are pitchforks or even swords going to do against a beast that can carry off its victims? Gilbert furrowed his brow and nodded somberly. Only those in the aristocracy had the right to bear arms. We, oui, I think it is wrong that you cannot have guns to defend yourselves. But what about those children who beat off the beast? They didn't kill it, but at least they saved their friend and drove it away. Ah, true, Monsieur le Marquis. When King Louis first heard about those five boys and two girls, he wanted to reward the firm courage and intelligence their leaders showed in the battle against the beast. The man smiled and walked over to the broadsides. The odor as he moved caused Gilbert to wrinkle his nose. The man wiped off his grimy finger and pointed to a broadside with a new engraving showing Jacques Portefeuille and the other children attacking a dragon-like beast with sticks. It was the latest depiction of the amazing story that continued to fill the news. With each new telling of the story, the details became even more fantastic, and the story grew more marvelous in the minds of the people. Have you heard what the king has done now for Portefeuille? Gilbert walked closer to study the picture, putting a hand over his nose against the man's body odor. No, what? Not only did the king send money to him and the other children, now the king has sent him to school in Montpellier to learn how to read. He hasn't been privileged to go to school before now, the man explained with a sneer. After Portefeuille finishes school, he will go on to military training and be assigned to the king himself. That brave boy not only protected his friends, but he achieved glory for himself. His fame has spread all the way to America. Word has it that the people in Boston have read about the brave Jacques Portefeuille. He's been called Hercules in the Cradle. Gilbert's eyes widened with this news. He admired the local boy hero even more, amazed by the glory and fame he had achieved. He's only four years older than me. The man pointed to an article from the Courrier d'Avignon newspaper pinned to the board. Look what the governor, Comte de said about this small band of heroes. Gilbert leaned in and read the quotation. If their strength had matched their bravery, the hardy band now would be reaping the glory due to the eventual conqueror of the monster. He paused and nodded. Glory! And did you hear about the mother of six who protected her children from the beast further south? That Madame Vallée? Look how a playwright praised her, enthused the man, pointing to another article. Let us imitate the ancients, Gilbert read aloud. Can you imagine, Monsieur le Marquis, simple peasants likened to the warriors of ancient Greece and Rome? The man exclaimed. He pointed a thumb back at his chest and wore a resentful expression. We may be peasants, but we are inspiring patriotism and national pride for France, even if you nobles won't, he said, looking down his nose before leaning in to whisper, For 
I can't. Kate cocked her head at the man and narrowed her eyes. For a peasant, this man seemed to know a great deal, not only about history, but about Gilbert. And he had all but challenged Gilbert to go out and take on the beast himself. She gave a low growl, and the man shot her a sinister glance. Monsieur, merci for telling me this news, Gilbert said, giving a respectful bow. Let us hope the beast will soon be caught, so the people will no longer have to be afraid. Bon jeune. As Gilbert turned to leave, the man kicked Kate, and she gave a yelp. Gilbert didn't see what had happened, but turned around to see the man looking innocently at the broadsides. What's wrong, girl? Come on, let's go home. Kate looked behind them and growled. The man smiled before turning to walk away. I wonder if Gilbert realizes that stranger were the second kind of wolf he warned Marie about, Kate thought as she followed the young Marquis down the street. But he were mean and smelled bad too. Suddenly a fearful thought entered her mind. She shot a glance back over her shoulder, but the man was gone. The beast of the Chaboudon might not be a wolf after all. Hmm, it would seem that uh, Kate may be onto something, eh? Uh, perhaps we'll find out in our next chapter. And likewise, I hope at least one of us got it right on this whole mystery of 100, as I'm now calling it. Hey, we might have some help too, Mousy. Uh, Miss Jenny just got here. Hey, everybody. Hello, Hello Miss Jenny. Jenny. I heard today's a special day. Have you gleaned any insights as to why, though? Denny sent me an email about 100... Something. I read it real fast. I was kind of busy working on the next book, and so I just kind of glanced and, hmm. Oh, so you do not know what the 100 means either? Uh, do you have any guesses then, Lass? 100 can mean lots of things, but me and my love for history, I came up with 100 milestone documents in America's history from the National Archives and Records Administration. This list is so awesome. I just thought I would read the whole list for you today. <laughs> as, so, uh, uh, as riveting as that sounds, uh, it does. Uh, keep in mind that uh, we are talking about uh, Monsieur Anonsa here, so... Uh, What's that supposed to mean? Anyway, we need to celebrate number 100. So I called a bakery to bring us a cake to commemorate this big day. Uh, you did, monsieur? Uh, oui. So imagine my surprise to see four bakery delivery trucks in the driveway, each with a cake. Now, one says, happy 100th birthday, which better not be for me. Uh, not to worry, old chap. You don't look a day over. Careful. And now here's one that says, happy 100th dog year anniversary. Think I can guess where that one came from? <laughs> no need to think, me lad. I know. Then there's one that says, Great score, 100, uh, magnifique. Anyone care to explain what score that would be? Um, uh, bowling, perhaps? Really? And that would be worth getting a cake, Liz? Really? It would be for me. Oh, okay, monsieur, we give up. Happy 100th, uh, 100th what? What is it? Ah! Uh... Uh-huh. I think the lights just came on. It's the 100th episode of the Epic Order of the Seven 
The podcast. Oh, but of course, c'est magnifique. Yep, indeed, this is episode number 100. Of course it is. <laughs> Silly me. Well, congratulations, everybody. This is a big day. Wow, a hundred episodes. And I say, old chap, a big tip of the hat to you, too, for coordinating our efforts, old boy. Thanks, Nigel. That's, that's very kind. Of course. You know what? There would be no Epic Court of the Seven podcast without Denny Brownlee. And Max and Liz and Nigel, I hate to tell you this, there would be no y'all if it weren't for Denny Brownlee, at least in this platform. Denny works tirelessly, probably a hundred hours every week. No, I... Denny, don't deny it. Yes, ma'am. To bring you the Epic Order of the Seven, the podcast. I have never seen such joy and creativity fueled into something like this podcast. Here, here, Miss Jenny. So let us eat cake. And lots of it. Sure. Uh, come on in, fellas. All four of you. Okay, wow. Um, are you guys brothers? Yes, we're the Singing Baker Brothers. I'm Larry. I'm Jerry. I'm Terry. I'm Harry. You're Harry? <laughs> no worries, lad. So am I. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh, does this mean we're all about to be serenaded? As much as they charge, monsieur, uh, we oui. Let's them sing. Ready, fellas? Okay? Uh, hit it. Congratulations on your big day. 100 epic episodes have come our way. First Max and Liz in season one helped us relive the art. Then Nigel added his own squeak to their meow and bark. With author Lance Extraordinaire, a lady we call Jenny, and a sure announcer lad, whose name is one of many. Benny? Lenny? Kenny? Penny? We just can't pick cause there's so many. The name is Denny. Can it really be 100 weeks? It sure did go by fast. Now let's go do a million more. Cause we're having a blast with the epic Order of the Seven. The podcast. Woohoo! I say good show, gentlemen. Hi, that were a treat. Eh, lad? It was adequate. Not to worry. The cake is jolly good. Mmm, wee! Hi! <laughs> Thank you, lads! And with that... Oh, we're the guys who sing and bake. We hope you like our song. We'll leave you with our special cakes, but we must move along. Hey, don't you guys want to get paid? Don't worry, lad. I, I put, put it, it on, on your card. card. Uh-oh. Uh -oh. Well, in the tradition of Marie Antoinette, let them eat expensive cake. Oh, and uh, thank you for being here for episode number 100. And thank you, Jenny. Thank you, Denny. Much love, gratitude, and here's to the next 100. Once again, the Epic Order of the Seven, the podcast, is produced by Playful World Ministries, a department of ACT International. All of the Epic Order of the Seven characters and adventures were created by and written by Jenny L. Cody. 
And remember, you can download your very own copy of the audiobook, The Voice, The Revolution, and The Key, by visiting audible.com. That's www.audible.com. And you can find the entire collection of Jenny L. Cody's Epic Order of the Seven books by going to her website, www.epicorderofthe7.com. And I'm Denny Brownlee. Thank you for listening, and join us next time on the Epic Order of the Seven, the podcast. Have a grandi! A biento, mes amis! Huzzah! And ta-ta! And always remember, you are loved and you are able.